my goodness. What a journey has it been. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. This is what Ralphie has been waiting for all this Christmas season. This one wish. And the, roll, the, the words roll off of his tongue. He wants what? The official Red Rider carbine action, 200 shot range model air rifle with the cards in the stock, which I don't have on mine, unfortunately. I didn't get the high-end high model. And this thing that tells time, apparently, on it. And he dreams about it. He dreams about shooting Black Bart and his gang in the backyard and saving his family from imminent danger. You'll get yours, Black Bart, he says in his dreams. He incorporates this uh, into his theme for school, proclaiming that I don't know why anyone would want a football for Christmas. A football is not a very good Christmas present. And he sneakily finds ways to plant hints into the minds of his mother and father by slipping in a little ad into her look magazine next to her bedside. But every time he mentions what his wish is, his mother always shoots back. Those things are dangerous. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's a dangerous toy. Maybe, maybe you have those kind of experiences. Uh, I actually use mine to terrify squirrels. They don't even do damage on the squirrels out there. But I remember when I was growing up, at least this will tell you a little bit about how old I am. Uh, do you remember the Sears catalog? The wish book. That was the best time of the year. You, you get ready for Christmas time, and the, the Sears catalog, which is usually, usually only that big, grows to be that big. And in the back, it's all. Oh, I remember it. I remember it. I remember sitting on the couch, and this was, this was yesterday's Amazon wish list, right? And it has gone the way of the landline rotary telephone, which we had when I was growing up, too. I was trying to remember what, what, was, what were some of the gifts that I got when I was a kid, and I was really having a hard time trying to find out, like, what was the memorable one? What was the one that I was just, I, I couldn't wait to get. I was hoping and praying, maybe, and wishing, dropping hints, maybe cutting out the little item from that wish book and, and placing it so, in, in a strategic place so that my mom and dad knew uh, what I wanted, and it came to me. This morning, I remember what it was. I remember, I loved Star Wars, okay? 1977 is when it came out, and I was nine years old. I saw it seven times in the movie theater, you know, before VHS. I mean, so, and there were people that saw it a lot more than me. I mean, only seven times? You only saw it seven times in the movie theater? But the Millennium Falcon, this was the big one, the big toy the, that you opened up, and on, and on the inside, it had the little table where they, they played that game, you know, and, and you, you stuck Han Solo up into the, uh, uh, the seat, and he would shoot off the, the gun, and the, the, the front end opened up, and you could stick Chewbacca inside, and it had landing gear, and everything. It was, it was the best. That was the one gift I remember today uh, that I received. And as most children, sleep will evade many of us tonight on Christmas Eve. Will Santa make all of our Christmas wishes come true? What is your Christmas wish this year? Maybe it's not something you've been asking Santa for, but maybe, maybe you've been asking Jesus for something specific. 
I'm sure that we can probably think of some. Perhaps like me, this thing that you are wishing for keeps you up at night or wakes you up early in the morning. Maybe it's not anticipation and excitement. Maybe those are replaced with worry and anxiety. If Jesus would grant me this one thing, everything would be all right. I might find in this season comfort and joy. We like a more comfortable and not very risky prayer, like Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights. <laughs> I like the baby Jesus the best, he says. And I probably lost a bunch of you that thought that movie was sacrilegious. Why I mention that? So I'm sorry. But that's sometimes the way that we interpret things. We look at just baby Jesus, which is good, but you have to go all the way through the story. I have become a believer that God says yes more often than we think that he does. He longs to give his children good gifts. Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 7, for everyone who asks, receives. Do you believe it? The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father in heaven give good, give good gifts to those who ask him? He gifts us with good gifts. But the gifts that he wants to give us and the gifts that we ask for, if we think about it, at times will have danger that's involved with it. Because they have purpose. Sometimes those gifts have purpose to destroy all of the things that are not of him, and it hurts, but it achieves its purpose to make a way for the Holy Spirit to move in our life. That thing that you're wishing for, that thing that you're crying out to Jesus to give you at this Christmas holiday, God wants to give it to you. God wants to give it to all of us. But there's something inside that needs to die for us to be able to receive it. And in some ways, he's like the old man. <laughs> he will give the gift knowing full well that we will shoot our eye out. It will indeed happen. But he also knows that we will not know the full measure of his extravagant grace unless we allow the danger to point us to his greatest joy. So be patient. Be patient with God's good gift and allow it to accomplish its purpose. No, notice what is said about Jesus uh, in, in the text that we relate to the Christmas story. When Jesus is born, he is taken to the temple. And the first person that Mary and Joseph encounter in the temple as they take him there to be circumcised is Simeon, who is a prophet, who has been waiting around for the consolation of Israel. And it, and it says this. As they meet him, Simeon blessed them. D don't miss that. And said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Uh, what kind of a blessing is that? Here you're, here's mom and dad holding their newborn baby, eight days old. And they meet this prophet who comes to them and, let me give you a blessing. This is what's going to happen as a result of his living his life. Of course, the Simeon was a prophet. He knew it was going to happen, and even that it would cause them pain. This is a dangerous gift. John the Baptist would later speak of Jesus about the type of man he would be in Luke chapter 3, I baptize you with water, John says, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, which is a very interesting concept here, this, this fire that, that God is going to bring to refine. We've been reflecting on this as elders in our church <laughs> Uh, about the, the season of life that we have gone through as our church, and we recognize that what God may be doing right now is refining us. He's stretching us. He may even be purging, and it's painful, and it is difficult. And in each of our lives, it's the same thing. We can't run away from it, and we have to trust that God is doing something there. Uh, John will go on to say his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The description of this gift that God gives us is not one that is very safe. First, the gift of God is Jesus. We know this, who was born to die. Who was born to die. Mary knew this. Christmas would mean nothing if Jesus did not come to save us from death. Humanity's most intimidating enemy and impossible adversary, Jesus was born to die to save us from that enemy. And through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus brings us life. And this is kind of a challenging statement that I want to make. But the most beneficial way that we can at least begin to celebrate Advent, that we could begin to celebrate Christmas, is to meditate on last things. Because when we think about the end, when we meditate on the death that needs to occur, it'll train us to recognize what is truly important. When all of those wishes are cut away, we are left with God, pure, holy. And then we be, our thoughts become centered on God's grace and not on our abilities or our achievements or even how good or bad we are. Advent is a celebration of death and life. Jesus will talk about this. He teaches his, his uh, disciples to pray. He said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You know, John, John's, John's disciples, they had a prayer that they could pray, and so Jesus taught them a prayer, which actually is very similar to a prayer that they already prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then listen to these words. We say, we've said it, 
over and over and over and over and over again, your kingdom come, your will be done. I heard somebody say once that when we pray this prayer, it will kill us. Think about those words. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's not my kingdom, not my wishes, not my desires, but yours. Yours first. And it will be the death of me. And as a result, at the end of the prayer, he says to pray this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a death not just to ourselves, but especially a death to the devil in our lives, shown in Jesus' death and resurrection. Zechariah would say, because of the tender mercy of God, before Jesus was born, before, his, before John the Baptist, his son, was born, because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and then the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Death in Christ is a preparation for Christmas. It's a preparation to be able to receive the greatest gift. And it is Jesus' birth that is connected to his death. The gift of God is Jesus who was born to die. And we receive it by allowing ourselves to die with him. We allow Jesus to die for us. And so I think this is what Mary pondered in her heart. And, and George, thank you so much last week for singing Mary Did You Know, leading us in that song because that question, as I mentioned last week, Mary did know. Here are the words. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's talking about herself. For now all generations will call me blessed. She knew there was going to be a blessing on her for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And, and Mary and Joseph, as I mentioned last week, they would understand this. Because as they go to their hometown, as all people had been ordered to do during the census, their very own family would reject them and not scoot over and give them room in their home. And so they would be relegated to the shepherd's cave with the Bedouin shepherds. They went to the least, and God's gift was brought there. God brings down the proud, and he lifts up the humble. And the question for, for, for me is, what is in my heart 
this Christmas that is prideful. I mean, we like to think about that. I like, we look at the, the, the Magnificat, the, those words of Mary, and we think, I love this story of a turnaround because I am in a humble state, and I am the one who is hungry, and I'm the one who is... But reflecting on myself, where am I proud? Where am I privileged? Where do I have position? What does God need to do in my life so that I might be ready to receive his, his gift? The second thing is that it's important is the gift of God is Jesus who was born to restore. He's going to make things equal. He's going to make things right. God restores the world to its original intention where there is no fear of not having enough. There is no fear of not being enough. There's no fear of not having a place. There is no fear of not having a people. God's intention was that we all walk with him in the cool of the day in the garden. We walk, all walk with him. Our world, unfortunately, not just these days when Jesus comes, but it's, it's still a balance. There are still the haves and the have-nots. The danger of God's gifts for us is that it would change the way we treat other people to level the playing field and bring equality. If, if Jesus has changed our lives through his death and resurrection, and I surrender my life over to him, now he is going to not only restore me, but he is going to use me as an agent to restore, to bring restoration to the world. And so where justice, this is a place where justice is not retribution. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Retribution is a punishment imposed for purposes of repaying or revenge for the wrong committed. We say, well, that's not fair that somebody should receive this grace and another person not receive that. It's not fair that this person should get off when I am still one who is in pain. But instead, in God's eyes, the thing that is going to level the playing field is justice that is found in restoration, restorative justice, restoration to relationship with one another and restoration to our created image, a reminder of who we are. And my image is good. Your image is good. This will be painful because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why should I have to suffer for something that I didn't cause? I know I've been there, and I'm sure that we have heard that or we've said that many times. Why should I have to be the one to take a step back? But then I will begin to see that what I have, the riches that I do have, even though I may think I don't have much, what I do have was intended to be given away, not hoarded for a rainy day. Today's the rainy day, and not just because it is rainy, <laughs> but it is the rainy day. Why are we holding back? 
We said in a previous sermon series, and we've kind of kept it uh, for our, our vision and our mission for I Love the South Side, where radical hospitality makes strangers into neighbors. But see where it first starts. <laughs> strangers. What is, that's, the root of it is strange. People who are different. People that make me feel uncomfortable by the way that they live, by their actions, by their behavior. But if I become hospitable, we as a church become hospitable. You and I take on the very, the, the very attitude of Jesus Christ himself. We welcome strangers to the place where they become neighbors. They come into close proximity with us. And as those neighbors are welcomed, they become family. They become family. I, I, found, this, I, I found this at Grandma's table. I, I know I've shared with you, this is, this is my Grandma's table. This was in my Grandma's kitchen growing up. And it is so small to me sitting up here. <laughs> Uh, there is one leaf, and I do, we do put, Katie and I do put it in there, and I couldn't believe that nobody else in my family wanted it. I didn't say anything when uh, things were be being given away, and it was sitting in my aunt's garage, and, uh, and somebody asked me, Lowell, do you want it? And I said, well, do any of the other grandkids or cousins, you know, grandkids want it? Nobody wanted it. I'm like, why? <laughs> why would you not want this table? Because this is, where, this is where I learned hospitality. This is where I learned from my grandmother who would, who would stand in the kitchen for hours uh, working on a meal that was very simple. I was talking to Tia and Josh Chapo when we were having our movie night, and we were, uh, they're Hungarians like me. And so we were talking about uh, chicken paprikash. This was what I, I ate that. There's probably, some, there's probably some flour in the cracks in the corners of this table from a lot of that. Just simple meals. And my grandma would make these meals and, and she would be the last one to sit down and the last one to get up. She would, we would talk about my grandma. She would always get the neck and the back of the chicken, you know, because she wanted us all to have the best pieces. It was at this table that I sat with my dad and he, taught, and, and he, he uh, shared with me about Jesus Christ and I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord sitting at that table. And the next Sunday, I went to church and I was baptized. It is at this table that I saw Jesus in the life of my grandmother, even in her death. Jesus would say in John chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hating this life meaning I let it pass 
it dies. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This gift, this baby Jesus, this gift of God in Jesus who was born so we can have life. It had to happen. It was something that had to be and meant to be from the very beginning. All of the prophets told it. Mary confessed it. It was something that God intended. And it's the same for us. Where we surrender our lives so that we might live and have life to the full. I mentioned, and, and we've been talking about the, the gifts that we receive at Christmas. And, and as I mentioned, other than the Millennium Falcon, I, I, really, I really don't have a lot of memories about gifts that I've received. Um, it doesn't take long for the wrapping paper to be cleaned up after Christmas, and, and you kind of forget about those things. I mean, it, it's, those things aren't the necessarily the most important, but I, I do remember one Christmas uh, ve- uh, vividly. Uh, the only, the only, the re- I remember it because I, I got one box, and in that box was a, a, a guitar strap, a beginner's guitar book, and then a crocheted alien. I actually, when I opened it up, and I, I, I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I knew that my, my mom would do all kinds of, and still to this day, she's a quilter, she's, she's all sewing things, and, uh, and, and during this time in our lives, she was crocheting things, so she had made us all little stuffed animals, but mine was an alien. It was just the oddest thing that I thought uh, I would ever, you know. And, and it, for a child, I don't know how old I was, uh, it was kind of weird. Um, I remember, though, uh, my mom sitting in her chair because that Christmas was rather slim for us and I remember the tears coming down her face as I opened that gift because she knew that I was disappointed. And it took me a while. It took me a while to, to, for this to be meaningful to me today. Uh, because as a child, it's difficult, I think. Um, but my mom, with great care and a tremendous amount of love, did the best that she could. And that will be the most memorable gift that I, have, I will ever receive, and I will want nothing more, because in that, it frees me today to live more simply. Now, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is really working on me. But I find more freedom in the simplicity than I do in the want. To see, instead of the gift that I'm unwrapping and that I have all of these things, or even that I have bought enough gifts so that everybody can have some and stress out over all of that kind of thing, 
I would rather see the gift in the other face sitting at the table and not alone somewhere else. To see the other rather than the possession. And to understand the opportunity in the moment to be present rather than to seek the stage or the position of power. This is life. Why would we waste it? Striving and worrying about all of those things, but we would die to ourselves so that we might live to God and be present in the moment and be free to see the gift that God has given each and every one of us through each other. That's beautiful. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. So how do we respond? What gift can I give when I stand here empty-handed? I, uh, we're going to sing a song here in a moment. Um, and uh, the name of the song is uh, Little, J- Little Baby Jesus. Thank you, George. Sweet little Jesus boy. And uh, I, I didn't know the song. I listened to the worship team uh, practicing it a little while ago, and that's the first time I've ever heard it. Uh, but I was prompted to uh, maybe look at the history of this song uh, because it might, it, it might come off as being a bit racist uh, because it is a a black spiritual number. But I want you to hear the story behind the song. Few of the songs of Christmas so directly convey the personal appeal of Jesus Christ like sweet little Jesus boy. Mistaken by many to be an old American spiritual sung by slaves of the South in the 19th century, the song was written in 1934 by a white American composer, Robert McGimsey. Born in Louisiana, McGimsey was a lawyer who had a passion for composing what many people of his generation called black music. McGimsey was raised in the company of black domestic help who gave him a rich background in the gospel music of the South. His childhood caregiver, Aunt Becky, would sing spirituals to Robert as a baby. His intent in writing Sweet Little Jesus Boy was intended to portray it as an American slave song. McGimsey made it his life's work to learn, preserve, transcribe, and make accessible African-American folk music from the South. McGimsey wanted Sweet Little Jesus Boy to echo the sentiments of black Christians in the Civil War era. He once described his most famous song as more a meaning than a song. He pictured an aging black man whose life had been full of injustice, standing off in the middle of a field, just giving his heart to Jesus. What an image that that we would lay down our, our wants and our desires and maybe even our needs and that we, would allow, that we would allow sweet little baby Jesus to come and to do his good work and die for us 
and that we would die with him so that we can, as Jesus was raised to life, we can be raised to a new life as well and in, live in the simplicity of his love and his grace. And no matter where we find ourselves, we all come to him empty-handed, and we stand here receiving his good gift. The gift that we have been dreaming about, not the one that we got out of the wish book, and it's a dangerous gift that he gives us, but if we allow it to do its work, it will be the greatest thing that we will treasure. And I hope you find that. I hope we all find that this Christmas and this new year. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for the gift of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for his death and his resurrection. Thank you, Father, for meeting us here this morning that you stand with us as we stand empty-handed and you fill us with your good gift that we might always remember that we are your beloved sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.